church. I want to uh, give at least for some of you will be some exciting news. Next week, every once in a while it happens that, um, that Valentine's Day falls on a Sunday. All right, so um, <laughs> calm yourself down, Terry. <laughs> Hug her tight. There you go. Next week, we're inviting just a, uh, a personal friend of mine. His name is Tim Buttry. Tim was my counselor 10 years ago and has become a very good friend of mine. He's going to come next Sunday as a special guest. And Tim is called as a pastor. He and his wife, Linda, 36 years ago, uh, began a counseling ministry called True Relationships just out of their passion to see marriages uh, reconciled and restored and renewed and thriving through the work of God's Holy Spirit. And so I'm excited Tim's going to come and bless us with a message next week. He's going to talk about um, God's perfect plan for marriage. We're going to open up the book of Ephesians chapter 5 and just look at God's plan for us who are married and how we can thrive in that relationship just as a follower of Jesus, especially. Now, I, I've been thinking a lot lately. Um, I wrote that sentence and tried to finish it maybe three or four different ways and decided that a period was the best way to finish that. I've been thinking a lot lately, <laughs> and that's probably an understatement, right? Um, so many things. One of the things that I've spent a lot of time thinking about is, is how we as parents are just so passionate about transferring our faith to our children and to our grandchildren. Um, obviously front and center for me right now, but never really far from my mind ever at that point. Um, certainly I think the emphasis grows as we age. But many of us will remember the first announcement or understanding we had that we would have responsibility for another life, right, for that child. Um, and we felt that weight ever since. And this week in particular, as I've just spent some time and, and sat down with the two texts that we're going to look at this morning, um, I've been thinking about transferring faith in a different way. Uh, I've been thinking about how we, as disciples of Jesus, right, as people who have been transformed by him, as people who are called to be on mission with him, um, how we transfer the lessons that we have learned about faith in our lifetime to the new situations that we find ourselves encountering as a part of this life. As life progresses, right, we continue to go through new experiences. It's in part because, um, like, we are changing, right? Um, the challenge of living for Jesus at 55, for me, is different than it was at age 35, which is completely different than it was when I first met Jesus at age 15. Um, we change. But the world changes. Think about how different life is living in Troy, Ohio than it was 20 years ago when I packed up my family and moved us to Troy, Ohio. Um, and I've learned so much about myself 
and about life and about faith in God and living that out in the past 20 years. And yet those lessons learned about faith, they have to be transferred and applied to the new dilemmas that challenge us. We take those lessons with us. I want you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4 with me this morning. In Mark chapter 4, we're going to see Jesus sleeping. Okay? In the middle of what the disciples certainly saw as a crisis. Now I'm sure that Jesus was tired after teaching for a day. But pay attention to how he provides for us a picture of what it looks like to have peace in the midst, in the midst of chaos. Okay? And while you and I, reading, observing from afar, might appreciate or admire Jesus' level of peace in the middle of all this, certainly when we read the text, we realize that the disciples did not. <laughs> in fact, they saw it as something completely different. And so out of this passage, I want us to look for some help, some help in the challenge of bridging fear and faith. Okay? Mark chapter 4, begin with me in verse 35. It says, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, he took them along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall or storm came up, and the waves break over, broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now Jesus had been teaching a large crowd for the day. And that evening, he decides to take the disciples to a different part of the lake. Okay? Remember, four of these disciples, by profession, before Jesus called them, were seasoned, experienced fishermen. Okay? Jesus, fully man, like you and I, he grew weary. And he went to sleep in the back of the boat. Now, a storm blew in, which is not abnormal for the Sea of Galilee. And the waves threatened to overcome the boat. Now, probably not the first storm of this type for the four fishermen. Okay? Certainly not unusual for this region. But it might have been for those other disciples, their first storm like this. And remember, there are other boats that are going along as well. And here in this crisis, the disciples wake Jesus up with these words. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now again, you and I might uh, admire Jesus' peace, but the disciples may be more akin to you and I when we're going through struggles. Instead, they see Jesus' sleep 
as indifference or not caring about their safety when they're in danger. There's a parallel passage in Matthew chapter 8, verse 25, where it indicates that they expected Jesus to take some kind of action. It says in Matthew 8, 25, the disciples woke him and said, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Now, I'm not sure that the disciples thought that Jesus was responsible for their crisis or if they're simply angry that he let it happen. Okay. Or perhaps they, that he just didn't stop it before it got out of hand. But either way, they're frustrated that Jesus doesn't seem to be more concerned about the predicament that they find themselves in. When they see Jesus not respond to their panic, but instead respond the way he did, they were surprised, to say the least. Jesus demonstrated um, his authority. They'd seen that before, but this time over nature, or his creation. And he gets up and he commands the wind, and immediately it becomes calm. And Mark says that his power actually made them afraid. It didn't bring them calm. It made them afraid. They had obviously expected him to do something. What, we're not exactly sure. But when he did, they were stunned. Their fear wasn't alleviated. It was actually intensified. Now more than the storm, they feared the one who calmed it. Who is this man? What is this man? Even nature itself responds to his command. Now, easy from our seat to look at Mark chapter 4 and see they were experiencing yet another facet of the deity of Jesus. He was the Lord of creation. The history of Israel had stories of how God exercised control over nature by parting the Red Sea. Okay? By parting the, the waters of the Jordan River, the Psalms are filled with the imagery. Psalm 89, verses 8 and 9 says, Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. Yet they weren't reading about it. They were not in some kind of a classroom being taught. They're experiencing it firsthand as Jesus commands the wind and it stops. No wonder they were stunned. I want you to think back to what I said earlier about transferring our faith. This was a new experience for the disciples, completely, right? They had seen Jesus teach. They had seen him heal. They had seen him cast out demons before, and they had been amazed. Yet they had yet to see Jesus command the elements of creation, and they respond. And yet that's exactly why I think Jesus says in verse 40, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? 
Jesus is questioning their faith, I think they are contemplating this ever-expanding picture of what it looks like to actually have God in their midst. The storm surprised them. It scared them. It did neither to Jesus. For him, it was another opportunity to demonstrate his lordship, to teach the disciples about life and about faith. You know, some lessons are learned through knowledge. We can read about things. But others that are often more powerful, right, we learn through experience as we journey through this life with God. So I think it's easy to have faith in God's deliverance when everything around us is calm. We don't actually sense a need to be delivered. And yet when life comes under pressure, we've got to, like the disciples, face our questions about whether or not God actually cares about us. Whether or not we believe God can actually do anything that will change the situation we find ourselves in or whether or not we trust God to know and to do what is best. How do you respond when it seems like evil is winning and God is losing? How do you respond when it seems like evil is winning and you are losing? How do you respond when life threatens your job or your health? or your family, or your friends? Do you fear? Do you despair? Do you, conclare, do, do you conclude that, that God must not care about you because he doesn't either remove you from the storm or still the storm around you? This lesson from Mark is about who Jesus is and not about what we can expect from him every time we encounter a storm in this life. Listen, storms are a part of life from which none of us escape. Mark helps us to learn to trust in a Jesus who doesn't always deliver us from the storms but instead sees us through the storms of this life. There are no safe places in life. Only security in Jesus who promises to take us through this life to the other side of eternity. And maybe, maybe Jesus would ask you and I in the midst of our storm, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And perhaps he means by that, think about the lessons you have learned along the way in your journey. Transfer what you've learned before about faith. That I love you. That I know and want what is best for you. 
and that I will never leave you. I will see you through this difficult time, whatever it is. Listen, this likely is your first pandemic in your life, right? (laughs) For all of us. But it's not your first challenge. You may be facing a new disaster or heartbreak, but it's not your first test as a parent or as a child or as a spouse or as a business partner or as an employee or as a friend or certainly as a follower of Jesus. Apply your faith lessons that you have learned in life to your current crisis. Transfer it. Learn something. Go through this one different than you went through last one, maybe even without fear. Look at the life you have experienced with Jesus. Learn from it. Grow instead of getting stuck because you actually already possess the tools that you need through what you've learned from God himself. Use those tools. Engage those lessons. Journey through this crisis different, not overcome by fear, even though it's always lurking. Listen, this wasn't the only time that Jesus' disciples experienced his power over creation. If you turn over to Mark chapter 6 with me, okay, we're going to find an, another storm. Okay? Same body of water, if you would, different set of circumstances. And it's going to help us think about considering how to bridge faith and courage. If we want to move from fear to faith, eventually, as we grow and mature, we want to move from faith to courage. Pick up with me in verse 45, Mark chapter 6. It says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, He went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass them by, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately, he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down, And they were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves, and their hearts were hardened. And we'll we'll leave verse 52 for another time. But in this setting, when we read both the accounts in the Gospel of Mark before this, as well as the Gospel of John, we realize Jesus had just fed 5,000 men plus women and children, the crowd that had gathered that he ended up dismissing. Earlier, we read through that Jesus had sent out his disciples And they had experienced power over evil spirits. And they were able to heal. And they gathered together to report to Jesus all that had happened. And as they were reporting, this crowd gathers around to hear everything that had happened while they were out. 
representing Jesus in this world. Meanwhile, again, if we, we read in the context of what's happened here, Herod had just killed Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, had, had had him beheaded. Now, after the people are fed, Jesus sends the disciples off without him, it tells us. He dismisses the crowd, and he spends some time alone with his father. Now, maybe he spends some time alone with his father and sends them off because he, he needs to replenish his strength after much ministry, which we've already seen here in Mark, is a regular pattern for Jesus, right? And certainly, we all need Sabbath rest. We need quiet time and connection with our Father and the spiritual refueling that can only be found in solitude. Perhaps Jesus sent them away and needed to focus again on why he came, since we read in a parallel passage in John chapter 6, verse 15, happening at the same time these words, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. It might even explain why he sent the disciples away, because maybe on, on, on their own, because they also might have began to believe um, and get caught up in the hype of the moment and might have lost their focus on Jesus' real mission. You know, maybe he was grieving over the death of his cousin John, which we read about in Mark 6 just before this. Whatever the cause, don't miss that the pattern and priority we see of Jesus connecting with his Father. I just think it's an important piece as we're tracing some things throughout the book of Mark. We've seen that several times, and there's a reason. Because Jesus, even though he was fully God, was also fully man. And he needed that time with his father. Meanwhile, in our text, the, the disciples are struggling to get across the water because of heavy winds. Now, it's another storm. I don't get the idea that it's the storm of the same caliber as what we read about in Mark chapter 4. Their lives don't seem to be in danger. They just seem to be fighting to get where they're going because of all the wind that is fighting them. I think based on the wording and understanding the context and the terminologies used, they probably have been on this journey across the lake for about 8 to 10 hours. It's about 3 to 6 in the morning when Jesus comes to them. And, and maybe if, if we can just think about some of our struggles, we can relate to these disciples. Right? Maybe you, like them right now, Maybe you just feel alone. I mean, Jesus sent them off without him. Maybe you feel abandoned or somehow like God is not present with you for whatever reason right now. Maybe you just are a spot in life with this craziness of this world where you just feel like you're frustrated because you just don't seem to be getting anywhere, like making no progress on your life journey. Maybe you're floundering in the darkness like they were, even while you are carrying out the instructions that God has given you. Remember, Jesus said, go to the other side. He sent them, and they're getting nowhere. They're frustrated. Why did he tell us to do this? So maybe you relate to the words alone or abandoned. 
or frustrated or floundering. If you don't, there will come a time where you will. Are you discouraged to find that you can't see God in the midst of it all? They had to be frustrated, wondering what, what was he thinking? But remember, the text tells us that Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. And it says, shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the sea. Now, now it was nighttime. Okay? Certainly there weren't any street lights nor any sea lights out in the middle of the sea that he would be able to physically see them after they'd been rowing for eight to ten hours. But because he's God, Jesus does see them in the night, supernaturally. And if he could see them, eight to ten hours of rowing across the lake, kind of remind you that he can see you in whatever state you find yourself in right now. And he can see your feelings of aloneness and abandonment and frustration and discouragement. And Jesus walked across the water to meet them. Now, don't just casually pass over that detail. Okay? Did you hear that? Jesus walked across the water. Okay? It wasn't casual to the disciples when they saw him walking across the water. They freaked out. <laughs> it says they thought they saw a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. And Jesus responds to them in the very same way that God in Scripture often responds to his people and God in life often responds to us who are afraid and overwhelmed. Jesus says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Now you're likely familiar with the words in the story of Joshua multiple times where, where Joshua was told to be strong and courageous and to not fear. But it's all throughout Scripture. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 41, verse 10, it says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Three verses later in chapter 13 of Isaiah 41, it says, For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, do not fear, for I will help you. There's a reason that the poem Footprints has been so popular over the years. When we look back in life, we often see that God has been with us all along, giving us the strength to make it through the crises of life. But what about, instead of only looking back, Okay. we could see him providing strength right now at this moment in the current crisis. Wouldn't it give us the courage to act differently and to live differently? I want you to think about that because it actually happens in this story. If you go to the book of Matthew, chapter 14, I think it's about verses 22 to 33, the same 
story is happening with a different twist. Now, it could be because Peter is the one who gives Mark the story that Peter happens to leave out this little detail. (laughs) But in the middle of the storm, before the storm is calmed in Matthew, Peter looks at Jesus and says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus invites him to come. And Peter gets out of the boat. The wind is still blowing. The waves are still rolling. And Peter walks on the water. But then he becomes afraid. And he has to have Jesus rescue him from sinking. But it all took place before Jesus calmed the storm. While the wind was still raging. Don't you think we might choose to live a little bit differently if we take the things that we've learned about God and apply them during the storms instead of afterwards? Sometimes we look afterwards and say, God, you were still there. But how beautiful would it be if in the middle of the storm we would say, God, I know you are here. Thank you for being here with me. Faith breeds Courage, when we look back and remember the faithfulness of God and we see that even though we missed it, he was there all along and trust that he is here right now with us in the middle of it. Listen, like I am confident, I am confident that the God who faithfully saw me through a divorce will see me through the the death of a child. I'm confident that the God who brought you your spouse can help see you through whatever struggles and difficulties you're having with that spouse. Transfer your faith to your current situation and see that faith breeds the courage needed to faithfully walk the path before you. God will empower you to do that. Now that path right now for some of you I know includes medical challenges, right? financial hardship, medical dilemmas, marriage dilemmas, parenting pressures, work choices, caring for aging parents, betrayal by friends, physical devastation to your body or any number of unwanted trials in life. But I can assure you, as a Christian, what it doesn't include is it doesn't include going through these trials alone. Jesus says to you in the middle of your storm, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. When you're in a crisis, let me encourage you to trace the work of God and let it give you confidence to know that God is always present, even in the midst of your current struggle. Leverage your faith to find the courage to live this present life. William Shedd once said, a ship in harbor is safe. But that's not what ships are built for. We can't hide from life for fear of the challenges. 
And we can't escape the difficult times that come from living life in general and from living a life of faith in particular. What we can do is we can engage God through faith and we can let him transform us into a person who has the courage to live for him now because we have the hope that we will get to live with him forever. Sometimes God does bring peace in the storm. Sometimes God brings peace to the storm. But either way, as a song I've been listening to a lot by Tasha Layton tells us, God says it's going to be okay. And he says to us in particular and assures us and assures me I'm going to be okay. So let us help you transfer your faith today. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. And I'd encourage you, if you're in the middle of one of these struggles, find one of our leaders here this morning. Come to us during the song, after the service, and let's pray together that God would help you connect faith to courage and that he would reassure you that he is with you through every bit of it. Let's turn our fear into courage through our faith. Let's pray together. Father, you are faithful. Jesus, you uh, gave us the greatest demonstration of, of your faithfulness, not by stilling the storms, but by defeating the enemy, sin, and death. So many ways we can engage our minds, our hearts, our lives, our memories to see your faithfulness. May we do so today so that we meet you with a heart of faith so that our fear might become courage to live for you and represent you well in this life. In Jesus' name.